worship, and there are things coming out um, that Mick and I are going to be talking about. Um, I'm just going to make sure I've got my glasses, the correct glasses, so I can see. I've got to that stage in life, I know. Oh, now I can see everybody. How lovely you all look. Ah, oh, wonderful. Um, oh, we're going through uh, a series, and uh, this is the second part, really, of the growth um, element of that series. Uh, John, I thought, did a fantastic job last week of talking about discipleship. Um, from a biblical point of view, looked at a number of the, the uh, biblical references and really gave us a fantastic basis. And uh, Mick and I, uh, this week, are really going to talk practically about discipleship, what it means, how we do it, and throw out a few challenges along the way. Um, let me just start um, by quoting from, I don't know if you know him, uh, John Tyson. He's a pastor and church planter in New York. And he says this, He says, our culture is doing a great job of discipling people. In other words, whatever you do, you're being discipled and influenced by the culture. Whether you're walking in in a a shopping market stall, whether you're talking to somebody at work, whether you're watching the television, you're uh, listening to YouTube, you're being influenced by the culture. You are effectively being discipled by the present culture that we're in. Your thoughts, your attitudes, your opinions are being refined and being changed by what you hear and see. And this is what he says that the culture, okay, maybe this has a little American slant, but I think it will uh, have an effect. He said that we are being discipled by the culture from faith to doubt. Faith isn't really something that is well respected nowadays, is it? To say that you're a person of faith. It's much better to say that you doubt things, you question. From love to insecurity. We do feel sometimes insecure, don't we? From community that we enjoy so much as a church to individualism and individualistic opinions. From contributors who want to give to consumers who just want to receive. And this is an interesting one. From those who know how to rest to those who spend their time in exhaustion. Rest to exhaustion. Am I not speaking loud enough? You didn't get it. I was going too quickly. Contributing to consumerism, rest to exhaustion. And we could probably add our own ones in there, couldn't we, of the way we feel influenced by our culture. What affects the way that you think about various things? If you're a parent, what influences the way that you bring up your children, what you, what you talk to them about, how you, what you say, no, this, you really can't do this, but you must do that. What influences the way that your opinion of the poor, of those in prison, of the person living next to you or the person you work with, the person going through addiction? What influences the way that you deal with stress? The way that you deal with the world of the internet? What influences whether you pray out loud or not, maybe at growth group or at church? 
what influences what films or what series you watch. So often Christians are maybe dominated, not necessarily by Jesus or wise Christian friends or the Bible, but we're dominated by the culture around us and we're often in that tension, aren't we? You see, discipleship, which if you like is the overarching topic, is crucial to seeing radical disciples of the Lord Jesus being formed. We want to see radical disciples formed, and we want to be radical disciples ourselves, don't we? want it both ways. We want to be radically changed and become radical followers of Jesus. Now, how are we doing with the slides? Aha, another one? Do we on number two? There we go. That's where we started. Fantastic. Now we're on to the, the third one, which is the, the key verse about discipleship that I'm sure that you will um, remember and you'll know. But this is Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. The Great Commission. The thing that is right at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, that phrase there I'm going to come back to, but that's an active word. It's a verb. It's an active verb. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just ask that you'd come and you'd encourage us and you'd speak to us this morning. Lord, we want to be better disciples of you. And Lord Jesus, we want to be those that help and disciple others, we want to encourage others. Lord, we want to be uh, stronger and stronger Christians. And we want to see us being multiplied and multiplied so that your kingdom comes and that this, this uh, nation and this world is influenced more and more for you, Lord. Will you speak to us this morning? Will you take my words, Lord, and the, the words that Mick's going to say later, Lord, and will you, will you speak through them, Lord? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay. I don't know ancient Greek, but I wanted to look at this word, make disciples, because as far as I know, this was the only time it came up. Yes, it's in the Great Commission's in Mark's Gospel as well, but that phrase only comes up, as far as I knew, in Matthew's Gospel here. <coughs> so, <clears throat> I've looked it up, and it's a, the Greek word, mathetio. That's the Greek word. And actually, it comes up three other places in Scripture. And I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 28, yes, but I'm going to look at those three other places to, if you like, help us define what making disciples means. So, making disciples is this active word. It's to disciple, to teach, to make a disciple. Notice, it's not all about salvation. We know that we were once lost, don't we? We were without Jesus. We didn't know him. And at some stage in our life, for me, it was when I was uh, 13 and a half, um, and I was uh, my first time in boarding school, um, very lonely, not sure who I was, not sure what I was doing, 
and somebody talked to me about Jesus for the first time. I thought, do you know what? That's what I want. And I made that step of faith. I decided, yes, Lord, thank you that you've forgiven me all my sins. I don't quite understand all this, but I made a step towards Jesus. And that, if you like, is the first step of discipleship, isn't it? That's the step of salvation that many of us in this room have made. And that is so important. And definitely discipleship, there's that, there's that strong start there. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, this, this uh, passage here in Matthew 28, it said, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So it's not just about salvation. It's helping people understand everything that Jesus says. So all the elements that we read in the Bible. It's about family life. It's about healing. It's about understanding community. It's about knowing when to turn the television off or when to turn it on. About knowing who to listen to and who not to. Uh, okay, so this, this, this uh, phrase, I'm not going to say the Greek again, making disciples, actually that, that, that active verb comes up three other places. The first is in Acts 14, verse 21. Um, and this is talking about Paul and Bar- Barnabas. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, so that's the active word, they'd made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And you can see here, made many disciples, went, it, it was a process, it happened over time. So Paul and Barbarus weren't just preaching the gospel, talking about what it is to be a, a follower of Jesus, seeing them come through to faith. No, he was making disciples, he was working, spending time there, talking to them, letting them see his life and working through that, talking about everything that Jesus had said. Okay, the next one, and this may not be one that you would immediately link with the idea of discipleship, is Matthew 27, verse 57. Matthew 27, verse 57. And the verse says this, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. So that being a disciple of Jesus was that active word. And that just made me reflect. He was also a disciple of Jesus. He was known for being a follower of Jesus. He was somebody who spent time with Jesus. He walked with him as Jesus walked in a, in a, a certain way by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Jesus as he found things easy and found things difficult. He was there with Jesus as he was teaching. It wasn't just a spend one minute with him and then go off in a different direction. There was that rubbing of life with him. It was um, a very active Thing. He was learning from Jesus day by day. <laughs> right, should we have some fun? Okay. <clears throat> right, well, I, I did say the eggs would come out again, didn't I? Okay, so I have some eggs here. I need, a, I need, I need somebody who uh, doesn't mind getting a bit messy. Thank you, Mick. Um, <laughs> And, uh, oh, you're going over this side, okay. Over here. Let me give you that as well. Because you see, sometimes as, as, uh, as Christians, what we... My wife's now. Right, sometimes as Christians, what we are is we're independent beings. I don't know about you, but we come to church and we say, hello, how are you? Fine, thank you. We kind of bounce off each other, don't we? We don't really mix together. 
but don't we? we? We just kind of, we're very polite. And there's actually, you know, you could say I'm fine, and what I, what I actually mean to say is, you know, life's really tough, and I'd love to talk to somebody, but actually, I'm fine. Yeah? So what I'm going to do, there's a difference between just brushing as Christians and being really mixed in. How are you, how are you at catching? <laughs> <laughs> Now, you see, when you do that, you take a little bit of a risk with somebody. <laughs> you might get a bit messy, but actually, our lives begin to mix together. And until our lives mix together, we can't really... <laughs> we can't mix together. We can't be... <laughs> right, can you mix it a bit now? Can we... You know, we can, if, we, if we're not really mixed together, the nice thing about eggs is when you mix them together, okay, you probably have to take the shells out first, but when you mix them together, they make things, don't they? They make beautiful cakes. They're things that are made out of them. that They can't be made if you have them just slightly separate. And I do think one of the things that God is speaking, oh, that looks beautiful, Mick. Absolutely beautiful. Now you need to drink it in one. No, only joking. <laughs> only joking because he was about to do that. Thank you very much. Big hand for my, my young friend here. My wife's going to... There's no mess. Oh, dear. Sorry. Um, <coughs> where was I? I think it's really... It's just... It's important to think about this as it's about that closer relationship. We can't disciple each other and be disciples and work together and really move on in God together unless our lives are meshed together. And sometimes that means actually talking about things that aren't great about us, but also learning together through that. Mick will talk a little bit more about that in a minute. I want to look at another verse where this uh, uh, make disciples, making disciples comes up, which is Matthew 13, verse 52. Matthew 13, verse 52. And it said this. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained, that's the active discipling, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And that's it, isn't it? When we're working together in a discipleship model, we talk about what is old. We hear the wisdom of the ages. We apply the Bible to our lives and we hear that old wisdom but also we develop new things we get new ideas together we get inspired we deal with new issues together and it's the wisdom of the ages and the inspiration of the new that are joined together in this amazing thing that God is doing and that's almost the definition of coaching or a definition of apprenticeship isn't it and uh, we'll go into that again I'll leave I'll leave that uh, part to Mick in a little bit. Um, David Watson was quoted last week by John, wasn't he? Um, And David Watson uh, says this about being a disciple. He said, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. I have just slightly changed his quote. You might notice why. She or he has committed herself or himself to Christ, to walking Christ's way, to living Christ's life, and to sharing Christ's love and truth with others. The verb to disciple 
describes the process by which we encourage another person to be such a follower of Jesus. It means the methods we use to help that person to become mature in Christ and so be in a position where she or he can now disciple someone else. So it's about being discipled and it's about discipling others. We're now going to talk about this in three different sections. Firstly, self-discipleship, our responsibility in it all. And then Mick's going to come up and he's going to talk about running partners and talk about the concept of apprentices. So I'm going to look at self-discipleship, our responsibility in this. Matthew 16, verse 24, which again, many of you will know, says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Notice where the responsibility is. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. And I think there's a sense of us being responsible for our own Christian walk here. We are responsible for our own closeness to Jesus. We're responsible to make sure we read the Bible daily, to make sure we're doing that. So we, we're learning from him individually. It's our responsibility to pray regularly, isn't it? To, to pray for people. And we can't say, oh, well, I need somebody else to tell me when to pray and to guide me in this. This is my responsibility, my self-discipleship. The other thing that I want to talk about in terms of self-discipleship is what I've titled Walking with Giants. Because we have an amazing opportunity to walk with giants daily. We've got a great opportunity of talking to people regularly who've, who are some of the most amazing heroes of the faith, who've done amazing exploits. Some of the things that we will never be able to experience, they've done and gone through. And you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Reading biographies, reading books about amazing Christians. Picking up those books. Now, you may say before we get this, look, Bob, I'm not really a reader. And I would say, if I'm honest, I'm not really a reader. Much prefer numbers. That's me. Mathematician. Teach maths. Sorry. Now half of you have switched off. Anyway, where was I? Um, I'm, it, you know, reading about heroes of the face is amazing. And some of the biographies are really easy to pick up. Just kind of two pages a, a chapter. And you pick up something about their life about the trials that they've been through, how they've overcome with faith, how they've done great exploits for God. So I would just challenge you, you can't say that you're not a reader, I don't think. And even, even if you say, well, look, I, I can't at the moment read because of one reason or another. We, there are still books on tape you can put in, or CD or DVD. You can put them in, you can hear the, the, these books being read to you. I often do that in the car. At the moment, I'm uh, reading a new biography about Smith Wigglesworth. What a man. What a man. I mean, in his early life, he spent a bit of time in Liverpool. And in Liverpool at that time, um, there was huge poverty and a lot of street kids. And he, he would sweep up straight street kids once a week. He'd take them and he'd do some sort of kids' activity with them. And he would say early in life... Average, he'd saw three of them come to Christ a week. Just amazing. 
I've never been anywhere where three people have come to Christ every week. But it was really interesting to learn from him. I remember him, uh, I'm about 50 pages in, so I can't tell you what happens at the end. But 50 pages in, he's praying for somebody who is on death's door because their heart is giving out. And he prays all night. And then comes back the next morning to keep praying. He's so determined. And I'm, I'm just, I'm learning from him. I'm thinking, Lord, I'd love to see some amazing healings. Lord, I'd love to see my friends and my family come to know you. Anyway, um, if you want to know about that book, it's written by Julian Wilson. I recommend him as a biographer. Do be careful when you're picking up biographies. I know there are a number of people who have worked in the Christian bookshop, and they will be brilliant at telling you. Is it four of you? At least four in this church, maybe more, who used to work at the Christian bookshop. They will be brilliant at, at, at saying this is a really good biography to read. Read this one. This is, you know, and, and you know, if you start asking, you'll get loads of them. Here's a, here's a few people. What about reading about George Muller um, of the amazing orphanages he set up in the 19th century? What about reading about Isabel Kuhn, um, uh, who had a ministry to the Lisu tribe in China? I think it was between the wars. Richard Wormbrand, Romanian pastor in prison, dancing in prison for Jesus and preaching to others. What about Chrissy Chapman, a modern hero of the faith in Burundi, doing a huge, amazing work with orphans? I want to encourage you to pick up some of those to inspire your Christian life. But I do also know that reading biographies is no substitute for genuine discipleship. Because it doesn't do the mixing together of lives, does it? That's not enough. Mick, over to you. Colossians 1, 27 and 28 says... To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This passage tells us that discipleship is for everyone, not just the super holy, not just the new Christians, for every single one of us. One of the ways we can do that is running partners, as you can see behind me. Why should we do this? It's biblical. The titles of most of the sections in Acts 13 and 14 describe Paul going to places with Barnabas. He's, with, he's doing life with someone else. Barnabas and Saul sent off. Barnabas and Saul on Cyprus. Paul and Barnabas at Antioch in Pisidia. Paul and Barnabas at Inconium. Paul and Barnabas at Lystra. Paul and Barnabas return to Antioch in Syria. Paul's doing life with Barnabas. Later on, he meets Timothy in Acts chapter 16, and he actually says in verse 3, tell us, he tells us that Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He met someone, and he wanted to bring Timothy along with him, and share life with him. Not being a runner myself, I only run for bacon. Although I, 
I say that, Paul witnessed me run on Tuesday uh, when we went praying around home base, so I'm not sure whether I can say that with any uh, honesty anymore. So I only run for bacon and prayer. That's not bad, is it? Excuse me while I juggle. So, not being a runner, I asked some park runners how they would describe a running partner. This is what they told me. A running partner is someone who runs with you, who pushes you when you need to go faster, paces you when you need to rest, and encourages you when things get tough. They believe in you and what you can achieve and help you reach your full potential. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like something we all need in our Christian lives as well. Relationship, companionship, trust, encouragement, invitation, and challenge. But how do we do it amongst the busyness of life? Aren't we all a bit too busy to find extra time to share life with someone else? Well, here's a few ideas for you. Number one. Everyone needs to eat. Why don't you have breakfast with someone? Or maybe meet for lunch. If you're nearby each other during the day, maybe you can meet for lunch and grab an hour together. Have someone over for your evening meal. It doesn't need to be a dinner party. It doesn't need to be special. Just set an extra place at the table. Cook a little bit of extra food and get them along. Family life can be messy, and you're inviting them into your life, so it doesn't matter that it's not perfect. That is doing life together. You could do the weekly or monthly shop together. We all need to buy food, unless you're doing it online. That's a bit more tricky. Although you could sit there with your laptops and uh, (laughs) do your weekly shop if you want. But you could go, go in the car together and go wander around Tesco or Sainsbury's. Other supermarkets are available. Car share to something you're both going to. Uh, Perhaps you're going to the prayer meeting. Uh, Perhaps you're going to uh, the Enough prayer meeting down in Ramsgate. Car share together and have a chat on the way. Phone each other in those moments of downtime. Bob's going to phone me when I'm sat on the bus this week. Luckily, I get on at the, uh, the beginning of the bus route, so it's pretty quiet, so I can get away with nattering on the phone for a bit before everyone gives me dirty looks. Serve together. Get involved. There's nothing like being in the worship team together or putting a PA rig together or putting out some chairs together to just learn a little bit about each other as you do it. Have a chat. You'll be amazed at what you find out just by doing the things of getting church going together. You could do some crafts together. Maybe you could help someone move house. This isn't a pointed remark, I paid someone to move us. This isn't, why didn't you help me move house? Not pointed at all. Or maybe do DIY together. While I was at university, I helped a friend of mine, Rob Shiletto, move house. Uh, And he was also going to set up a studio at the bottom of his garden in the workshop that was down there. Uh, In order to do that, he had a delivery of a very large amount of plasterboard. Uh, Now, he had a very large amount because, one, the workshop was huge, 
And two, he wanted to double line it so it was soundproof. So that was a lot of plasterboard. So I went round to his house after we'd helped him move to walk up and down his garden carrying plasterboard from one end of the garden to the other. If anyone's been to Rob's house, he's got quite a long garden and a very tight gap by the side of his house for squeezing plasterboard down. Whilst we were doing that, we just had chats. We talked about a lot of different things, but one of the things that really stuck with me was that we talked about the theology of worship. And I'd say that the time that I spent with Rob in those couple of days is what shaped my understanding of worship in church. It's given me the foundations of worship th theology. I didn't go along to learn about worship. I went along to move plasterboard. But my worship theology is based around those chats. That's where it started for me. That's where I grew in my understanding. You don't need someone who is better than you or more experienced to be a running partner. They don't have to know all the answers. They won't know all the answers. None of us do, even the ones that claim they do. They just need to be willing to go on the journey with you. You just need to find someone who wants to do life with you, to walk along with you and learn with you. Okay, so you're sold on the idea and you found yourself a running partner. How do you make sure it's a healthy discipleship relationship? That's actually quite hard to say. Number one, encourage each other as often as possible. Text, verbally, cards, carrier pigeon, you name it, encourage them. Ask a lot of questions. How might you do that? You might ask them, what do you think God is doing is wanting to do in your life at the moment? What one thing can you do this week to help grow in that? How is your relationship? How is your marriage? How's work going? How can I pray for you this week? Notice I say, how can I pray for you? Not what can I pray for you? Sometimes it elicits a slightly different answer. See each other regularly. I say regularly, not frequently. Why regularly? Because if you don't do something regularly, you'll go for a year and suddenly realize you haven't seen them. It doesn't need to be every week. Although if you can, do, that's brilliant. But we're busy people. If it's every six weeks, well, that's fine too. But make sure it's every six weeks. If you're rubbish at organizing something, then do not leave the time that you are with them until you have put the next one in the diary. Even if you then have to move it, you have to move it. You have to intentionally move it. Be vulnerable. Being open and honest is the best way for growth for both of you. Only give advice when you're invited to. It's better for someone to reach the conclusions themselves with some guidance than to be given the answers. Just like in exams, where you're asked to show you're working out, God wants us to know that we know what we're doing and why we're doing it. We need to be intentional about that. By saying, only give advice when you're invited to, sometimes that invitation is implicit. If you've known someone for a while, you know that you are saying, 
if you need to give me advice, do it now. At the beginning of a relationship, maybe you might need to actively ask, can you help me with this? I don't know what to do here. But as you grow in that relationship, it will deepen, and they'll know when you need the advice. You should rebuke only when it is absolutely necessary. and You must always do it from a place of love. Do not judge or condemn. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. You might not experience exactly the same thing, but we all have areas that we're not as good at, that we struggle with. We might have blind spots. Be discreet. If someone's going to be vulnerable and share life with you, they want to trust you and know that you're not going to tell the whole church about what they said to you last week. Keep it to yourself. So that's running partners. But sometimes you need to grow in a particular area. You've found something that you really want to grow in. Perhaps that's spiritual, perhaps that's more practical. And this is where apprentices come in. No, maybe not that one. Can we have the next slide? Perhaps not quite what we want. Let's go for the next slide. There we go. That's better. An apprentice learns from someone more experienced than them, which is what the disciples did with Jesus. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus has sent out the 12 disciples two by two. Two by two. Sound like running partners. And gave them authority over unclean spirits. Later on in Mark, in chapter 9, the disciples are unable to cast out a particular demon. So what do they do? They go back to their teacher. And this is what happens in verse 28 of chapter 9. And when he had entered the house, he being Jesus, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The disciples have tried. They weren't able to, so they've gone back to their teacher. They've gone back to the person with more experience and said, what do I need to do? What's the, what's the next step? In Mike Breen's book, uh, Building a Discipleship Culture, Mike describes uh, apprenticeships with four stages. Stage number one. I do. You watch. We can all do that. We can all watch. Stage two, I do, you help. Notice the person who's doing the apprentice, the master, if you will, is still the doing, but they're asking for help. They're bringing them alongside. Stage three, you do, I help. Notice the shift. It's gone from 60-40 one way to 60-40 the other. Percentage is not necessarily relevant. Stage four, you do, I watch. That's where they take a step back. They're still there if, something, if you need a bit of help, if you need a bit of guidance, but they're leaving you to go forward. And they'll only do that when they're sure you're ready. A personal example for me 
is uh, when I was discipled by a man called Jeff Farnham, who some of you uh, might know from uh, City Church and from Street Pastors in Canterbury. Jeff was a retired uh, 70-year-old family man who'd spent many years working across the country in big construction projects. I needed a mature Christian who'd done family life, who could help me understand how to balance my work, my family life, and my Christian life all together so that neither suffered. Having prayed, I approached Jeff, uh, and I asked him to consider discipling me. He went away and prayed, and after that, he agreed to. I thought that this relationship was going to be about taking me to the next level, that we were going to look at something deeply theological and move forward with that. But Jeff quickly identified that actually what I needed to do was to get back to basics. And so he chose a book that brought me back to the foundations of my relationship with Jesus. He knew that's where I needed to start. And then from then on, we met every two or three weeks, and we'd read the book out loud together, which was great, because some weeks I didn't have time to prepare, particularly when Anna came along. Just finding time to actually sit down and read was quite challenging. So we'd read it through together out loud. And I also found that helpful, because I didn't skip over bits. And if we came across something that was different, or difficult, then we were able to uh, we were able to ask the question there and then within that paragraph. Jeff always knew what was the next book to read, and we read four or five books in our time together, and each one was exactly what I needed at exactly the time. And I can tell you, I never would have picked the books that he picked for me. What about the more practical side of our walk with Jesus? Today is an example. Bob is helping me to grow and develop in preaching. Today is stage two. I do, you help. We've met together, we've discussed. Bob's given a structure of how we put this preach together. And then he's given me some sections to prepare. Yesterday morning we met for breakfast, running partners, and uh, we we talked about what we were going to do. Bob knows what I'm going to say. I haven't thrown it too much extra in since we met. <laughs> it doesn't have to be something big and public. Perhaps you want to improve in your prayer life. Prayer already, uh, Bob already talked about this a little bit earlier. Where better than your growth group? Your growth group will have people who are awesome at praying, and people who are like you, who are a bit nervous or who haven't prayed very much. In that space, you can learn from people praying, and then there's space for you to pray. And eventually, maybe you can lead a time of prayer within your growth group. There's always time to grow. Ava agrees. Mike Pilavachi gives a great example of apprenticeship in his book with Andy Croft, Everyday Supernatural, where he's learning to hear from God prophetically. Mike was at a church leaders retreat where Bruce Collins, someone who's uh, gifted in the prophetic, was there to prophesy over each other there. This is what Mike writes in that book. At the end, I approached Bruce and said, how did you do that? When I tried, all I got was spaghetti. He said, how do you expect God to speak to you? 
I thought about it and realized I had been waiting for a booming voice calling out, Hear ye, hear ye. God calling Mike, Are you receiving me? Tablet of stone on its way down. Duck! Bruce said, Mike, God speaks in a whisper, not in a shout. Then after a moment's pause, he said, We're doing this again in six weeks' time. Why don't you come and be my assistant and we can prophesy together? Mike goes on to say what happened six weeks later. Not only does he get to witness close up the Bruce prophesying, but also Bruce turns to him during the meeting and says, what have you got, Mike? He's encouraging him to step out and to help him grow. These have been just a handful of examples of how you might do this. But hopefully you found them useful as a way to grow your discipleship relationships. Can we have the slide with Matthew 28 back up? From verse 19 it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Matthew 28 is an active call for us to go and make disciples, to teach one another. So what's your next step today? Every single one of you has something that you can share and that others can learn from. Every single one of you. What is yours? What can you share? What can you share with me? Some of you have seen amazing things that God has done in your life. What would help me in my walk with God? Perhaps I've been, whilst I've been talking and whilst Bob's been talking, God's been putting someone on your heart that you should disciple. Is there someone you should be a running partner with? Is there someone that could learn from something that you're very good at? Or maybe it's a combination I'd encourage you to speak to them this morning. Or if you don't like talking to people, send them a text, send them a WhatsApp. Write them a letter. But do it this week. Perhaps you've been sat there thinking, I need some of that. Have you invited someone to share your life with them? Who could you be open and vulnerable with? Who will encourage and challenge you? Is there someone right now that God's nudging you towards? Be proactive this morning. Go and speak to them. Or again, if you don't want to speak to them, send them a message this week. Or perhaps you don't know Jesus yet, but you like the sound of this. You like the sound of doing life with people. It's not a scary thing where you say, Jesus died for me on the cross and rose again for my sins and then you're left on your own to work it all out on your own with a bible that's been written a long time ago there are people here who would love to walk with you in that step if that's you and maybe this is the prompt you need to give your life to jesus speak to one of us this morning one of the leaders myself or bob we'd love to talk to you more about that looks like the children are back. So I shall pass you back to Bob.
Should we give Mick a round of applause? I think he did brilliant. What a star. I've got so much to learn from him. Right. Uh, tea. We've got tea coming. to the f- Team. Oh, sorry. I thought we had a cup of tea coming. Right. We've got team coming to the front. And we want to hear what the uh, uh, kids have been doing. I'm going to slightly, con- slightly concerned way hand over to Derek.